May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. At our Holy Saturday vigil last night, we read through Psalm 42. And one of the refrains of Psalm 42 is a very poignant question, a question that lingers throughout Holy Week. It is, I think, the question of Holy Week. And so as we arrive on Easter Sunday, this question is important for us to ask as we recount the events of Holy Week, as we enter into the celebration of Easter, and as we go forward in our own lives. And that question is this, from Psalm 42. Where is your God? Where is your God? Well, let's think about that again, reviewing, replaying the events of Holy Week. Where is your God? He comes to us, riding on a donkey. And we welcome him, Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us, Son of God. Our King is here, the King of Israel, has come to reclaim his throne and to get rid of those damned Romans once and for all. He has come to conquer. He has come to set us free from our earthly captors. Where is your God? On a donkey. And then where does Jesus head? He heads to the temple. Where is your God? He is in the house of God. What is he doing? He's getting rid of the tax collectors, there are the money changers and those who would seek to turn the house of God into a den of thieves as, to, as opposed to maintaining it as a place of prayer. Where is your God? He's over there kicking over tables, making a court of whips and driving out those who would blaspheme and profane God's name. Then we turn to the events of what we know as Spy Wednesday. Where is your God? This is the question that the temple leaders, the Sanhedrin, the elders, the scribes, they were asking of Judas. Where is Jesus? And Judas says, I will lead you right to him. All you have to do is pay me the right amount. And I will show you where he is. 30 pieces of silver. And I'll tell you what you want to know. Where is Jesus? Where is your God? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Praying, agonizing over what is about to happen to him. Sweating so profusely that drops of blood form on his forehead. Which actually, I've learned, is a physiological condition that can happen to people in great amounts of stress and turmoil. Where is your God? He is there in the garden praying, agonizing, surrounded by his closest friends who are asleep, and when they awake, they will flee. Where is your God? He is there, betrayed by one of his friends with a kiss. One of the most intimate acts a person can share with another person. There he is, bound in chains, and led to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. Where is your God? The events of Monday Thursday, which actually precede 
the part where Judas betrays him, but liturgically we remember them in different order. Where is your God? There he is, on his knees in a loincloth, wrapped with a servant's towel, washing the feet of his disciples. Because as he himself said, I did not come to, ser to be served, but to serve. We come to Good Friday. Where is your God? This is the jeer and the mocking that is on the lips of those who saw Jesus put on the cross. Where is your God? They mock him. You said you were the Son of God. If you are, God will, he'll he will free you and take you down from there. Even the thief that is next to him derides him. Save us and save yourself. Even on the lips of Jesus himself with those words of Psalm 22. Where is your God, my God, my God? Why have you forsaken me? Where is your God? Where is your God? He is there in the hands of his mother, his body having been taken down from the cross. The one who bore him in her womb now bears him in her arms. The one who gave life to him now carries his dead corpse. Where is your God? And he is laying in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, carved from the limestone and hastily laid down because the day of the Sabbath was coming and there was not much time, not enough time to prepare the body. Where is your God lying there in a tomb behind a rock that would take at least a half a dozen men to roll into place, sealed with the emperor's own seal, under threat of death that if you remove this rock, you will become like the inhabitant of this tomb. Where is your God? Easter morning starts with this same question. It is still a time of darkness and a confusion. There's no rejoicing yet. No alleluias. Mary Magdalene is first to the tomb. She came while it was still early, while it was still dark. Because she wanted to pay homage to her Lord, her teacher, to honor him, to grieve, to weep, to mourn. Because she knew where he was, lying in that tomb. But then she arrives, and the stone has been taken away. Where is your God? She runs to Simon Peter and to John and tells them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Who is the they? We don't know. Could be the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. Could be the Romans themselves. All we know is that some unknown they have taken Jesus. Where is your God? We don't know. His body has been removed, and dead bodies don't tend to move on their own. So Peter and John come to investigate John obviously is a little bit faster than Peter, in case you didn't notice that. And John puts that, John, the writer of this gospel, is going to let us know that he's a little bit more fit than Peter. But to be fair, Peter is probably a little bit of an older man at this point, so it's not really a fair race. But Peter and John come with the same question Where is our God? We saw him crucified, we saw him laid in the tomb from a distance, from a distance but we still saw it with our own eyes, and now he's not here. And the text tells us 
that they went in and saw and believed. What did they believe? They did not believe that Jesus was resurrected because the evidence points that someone moved the body. So they believed that Mary's estimation that Jesus' body was removed by someone must be true because they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. So they went back to their homes. They went back into hiding. Things were bad on Friday. Now they're going to be even worse because now the Romans are going to be looking to see who took the body. Where is this Jesus? But Mary lingers. She lingers at the tomb, shrouded by grief and weeping, missing her Lord, wanting to say goodbye to him yet again. She sees two angels asking her, why are you weeping? Almost seems like a silly question to ask someone at a grave or at a funeral, why are you crying? Duh, because my loved one is gone and dead? But Mary says, where have they taken him? I don't know where he is. Where is my God? And then she turned around and she sees someone standing there. In her grief, in her tears, she is clouded. Her vision, she cannot see who is standing right in front of her. And so in this beautiful moment of irony, she understands that he must be the gardener. And it's irony because of course Jesus is the gardener. He's the one that planted this green earth in the beginning. He is the one who tended it and walked in that earthly paradise with Adam and Eve. He is the one who on the cross promised the repentant thief that today you will be with me in my heavenly garden. So yes, he is the gardener. But Mary doesn't understand that yet until, until her name is spoken tenderly and kindly on the lips of the one who loves her best. Mary. Mary. Where is your God? We've just, we will profess this as we get to the baptism. He has ascended to the right hand of heaven. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. Where is your God now, then? The tomb is empty. That's good news. But where is he? Jesus promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he will always be where his people have gathered. In their midst, where is your God? Exactly where he said he would be. In water and oil. In the water and oil of baptism. In bread and in wine, which become his body and blood through the working of the Holy Spirit. In the reading of scripture. In the presence of God's people who have gathered around his empty tomb to proclaim that we know where he is. He is here among us. He is in heaven, and he will come again. He has come to bring us new life. Eternal life, yes, but eternal life that begins here and now in our midst. He offers us the way and the life of transformation, of new life. In the waters of baptism, we are told that we die and we rise again because we are baptized into Christ's death and we are resurrected into his eternal life. 
We are fed with the new life of His body and blood. The resurrection begins here and now. Where is your God? He is here in our midst. He is here in our hearts. We have to accept Him as the gardener, the one who has come to till and to plant that new life in us. Where is your God? He's knocking at the door of your heart. And it's not a polite knocking. It's more a knocking like he did on Holy Saturday, a knocking down the gates of hell. Because he holds the keys to death. He holds the keys to life. And so on Easter Sunday, and indeed this whole Easter season, which lasts 50 days, so I hope you have enough chocolate to last you the next 50 days, we are invited into the new life that those eggs that we celebrate or that we receive at Easter are all about. And we eat them knowing that new life is possible day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, because Christ is risen. Where is your God? We know exactly where he is. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And all God's people said, Alleluia. Hallelujah.